Yeah, it's really great to be with you today. Um, yeah, it's my last Sunday, that's why I need to go back to my church later today. But it's really a privilege to be with you. Um, just to say, when I prepare, I find it very helpful when I listen to the sermon of my church a few years ago. Um, but don't worry, I'm not copying it today. Um, and yeah, to start with, so some quick questions, just answer it in your head. What would you do if you are drowning in the sea? You can answer it actually. What, and what would you do if you are swallowed by a whale? And what would you do if you are vomited out by the well? Well, well, I mean, actually it's quite hard to think about because those things are really bizarre and it's not our usual experience. I hope here no one has been swallowed by a well before. If you have, let me know. Um, it's a strange story, but I think it, it means to help us to understand something about God's salvation to see how God saved us and the story so that it will stick to our mind and remind us of what it is of God's salvation. So, before I go into the passage, let me ask you, what is your idea of salvation? And how do you obtain this salvation? And let's pray and ask God for help before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that through it we can know you and know how you have achieved the salvation for us. Please help us now to understand your word and please may your spirit work in our heart to change us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you are here last week, we we see how God... We see how God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach that the city is going to be destroyed soon. But Jonah disobeyed and tried to run away by taking a sheep. But the Lord heard a great storm. And at the end of the story, Jonah was being thrown into the sea. And we may expect that is the end of the story of Jonah. But it seems God hasn't done with Jonah yet. So we see in chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And then we have a poem in verse 2 to verse 9, and that proceeds on verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So, if we imagine the author just skipped the poem, actually it makes sense. We didn't lose any of the narrative. But I think the author wants us actually to slow down and reflect on how much Jonah has received mercy from God. It helps the reader to see how unreasonable Jonah's response is when the Nineveh people they receive the mercy from God. And it should prompt us to think how we have been shown mercy how we have received salvation from Jesus, and how are we going to respond to God's salvation? Are we going to be self-righteous like Jonah, or are we going to worship him humbly? So today we will see that first, God provided salvation from the distressing death, verse 1 to 7. 
and it should be responded by humbly worship and repentance. Verse 8 to 10. So first, God provides salvation from the distressing death. Verse 1 to 7. God provides salvation from the distressing death. Verse 1 to 7. So look at verse 1 again. He called the Lord his God. And it's even though Jonah disobeyed God and tried to run away, but the Lord Yahweh is still his God. God didn't give him up. There's no reason that God should preserve his rebellious servant, but yet God is still patient with Jonah. He still saved him and gave him another chance. And here Jonah is not drowning anymore. He's now in the belly of the fish. We often think the problem that Jonah has is he was being trapped in the fish. But actually, his problem is he was drowning before and actually the fish saved him. So he's not completely rescued yet, but he's safe from his immediate danger. He wasn't drowning anymore. He can now breathe some air in the fish valley. And it was quite a surprising way of rescue, to be honest, because God can calm the storm and the sailors can pull pull Jonah back to the sheep. Or God can let Jonah to hang on to some of the barrels and to swim back to the shore. But God chose to provide a big fish to swallow him. It's not normal. And I think it means to help us to see that actually salvation belongs to the Lord. In other cases, there will be other people involved in rescuing Jonah or Jonah need to swim to survive. But here no one else is involved except God is the one that involved. Jonah did nothing. He was swallowed by a well. It was passive. He didn't even choose to be swallowed by the well. Probably he won't if he has a choice. But this is grace. It's nothing about our work. It's only from God. It's nothing about our work, but from God. And Jonah contributed nothing. And inside the belly of the fish, he reflected on his experience of his drowning in verse 2 to 9. So look at verse 2 and verse 7. How did he describe his condition? He said he was in his distress. His life was fainting away. I don't know if you have drunk before. Hopefully you haven't. But I think it's one of the... I haven't neither. But it seems it's the most terrifying experience in the world. Because if you have experienced difficulty in breathing, either it's because of COVID or other diseases, or you have been knocked out by the wind, you understand how terrifying it is to not able to breathe. And this was the experience of Jonah. He was drowning and he was sinking down. And let's see where he was now. First three, he's at the heart of the sea. And the weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountain. It's quite a comic picture to have the seaweed to wrap around your head. But if that happens to you, you know you're in trouble because you're now at the bottom of the sea. And he makes it clear that he's at the root of the mountain. So he knows that death is close to him. Verse 5 is that the water closed in over to take my life. Verse 7. 
his life was fainting away. Of verse six, he went down to the land whose spot closed upon me forever. He was in a pit. He's he's like in a water prison or a pit that he couldn't get out. There's no way back. Death is his destiny. And moreover, his going down is not just his physical experience, but also his spiritual status. He said, "God was the one who cast him into the deep." In verse three, if we remember last last week, it was the sailors who threw him to the sea. But he knew that actually God is behind all this. God is the one that heard the storm of the sea and made him get the Lord. So he knew it's from God, and first of all, he said he was driven away from his presence. God didn't show him flavor anymore. He knew that his relationship with God wasn't right. Therefore, his danger wasn't just about his death, but also death with a problematic relationship with God. He found himself in the valley of Sheol, where the dead live and is separated from God. Before it seemed Jonah wasn't afraid of death and was willing to be cast into the sea, but now he is scared. He is terrified. He know he would be in great trouble if he died with a problematic relationship with God. And what was Jonah's response then? Maybe look at verse two and verse seven. He called out to the Lord. He remembered the Lord and prayed to Him. He prayed especially to the temple, because it is the center of the Israelite worship in the Old Testament. It's where God dwells, where God lives, and He promised that if people pray to it, He will answer it. It's like a direct hotline to God. That's the only thing that Jonah did. He couldn't save himself. He can only cry to the Lord and ask for His mercy. And God did hear his voice and answer his prayer. He appointed a great fish to swallow him. I guess we don't help people to become Christian just before they are dying, but death does help us to face the reality of our relationship with God, and we it helps us to realize that we are in trouble if we die not knowing God. Our society—I mean, no society likes to talk about death, but death is real, and we all face it one day, unless Jesus returns before then. The question is: Are you ready to face death? Are you ready to be confronted by the reality of death? And what is your confidence when you face death? Let me tell you a story of my mom. So, it's not her death, but. As other people's death that make her know the Lord. So her dad died when she was 15. It was quite a shock for her, and she started to think, "What's the point of life? If it's all about this life, then why does it matter to live a good life?" So she started to go to church, but it's a bit flaky, and and it was another accident that could lead to death that made her to actually commit. To her faith, so she was a nurse, and she managed to give the doctor some medicine for a patient. 
but somehow she managed to give the medicine of the wrong opposite effect. So it could really kill the patient and she freaked out. She cried to the Lord for mercy, for help. And the next day, miraculously, the patient actually got better, even though it shouldn't be. And he knew that it is grace. It's one thing to know what the definition of grace is, and it's another thing to experience it. And here, Jonah truly experienced that God's mercy personally. Before, if if you look at chapter two. Verse two. Jonah knew that he said, "I knew, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful." So he knew that in his head. But but Jonah refused to preach in Nineveh lest they receive the mercy. And yet now Jonah received mercy himself. Now he was a rebel, and not just someone who doesn't know God, but he was a rebellious prophet. And God is just to cast him into the sea. Yet God now showed him mercy by appointing a fish to save him from drowning. Jonah has experienced the mercy from God Himself. The question is, will he extend the same mercy to the people of Nineveh? As a book spoiler, maybe not. For now, let us reflect how we have experienced God's grace and mercy to us. For some of us, it may be God save us from imminent danger, such as serious illness or car crash or other accident. For some of us, the waves are not the literal ones, but the challenge, the really challenging things in life, such as difficulties with families or a very difficult working environment or struggles in health. But God mercifully turns things around and delivers us. From the distressing situation, this experience are precious because they help us to understand what it means for God to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So, how should we respond to God's rescue plan? It comes to our second point, verse eight to nine. We should respond by worshiping Him humbly. We should. Respond by worshiping him humbly. Jonah contrasts himself with those who worship the idols. First, eight he said, he said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He was saying, if if those people who worship those worthless idols, they won't experience God's love for them. To put it another way, if we experience God's love for us. Then why would we turn to other idols? Sometimes we don't turn to other physical idols, but gradually we forget what God has done in our life and put our priority on different things in life, such as status or comfort or relationship instead of God. But if we do that, then we will lose out on God's love for us. And instead of turning to idols, Jonah said. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pray. I will pay. And so he's saying his worship, our worship is is just about our actions, but also his inner attitude to God. He's going to be gracious to what God has done for him. 
Um, after talking about my mom, let me tell you another story about my dad. So, he once had a really serious car accident. So his car got hit by a car from behind, and his friend at the back seat actually died on the spot. And he was in a coma for ten days, and his friend next to him was get permanently disabled. And then after my dad recovered, he talked to his friend that survived, saying, "Oh, God save you." And his friend just said, "My life is strong. I'm lucky." And he refused to acknowledge God has saved him. And this is the exact opposite of how we should respond to God's grace. Here, Jonah expressed his gratitude by his voice of thanksgiving. Moreover, he said he would sacrifice to God. There are different sacrifices in the Old Testament. There are the sacrifices for atoning for sin, but here he is also there are the sacrifices for thanksgiving. Jonah cannot pretend nothing happened, but he must give thanks to God by his sacrifice. Finally, he may have promised something like, "If you save me, then I will do whatever you ask." So, Jonah was saying to pay his father, saying, "Oh, actually, he would do what he promised." What he said are all true saying; they are all very sound, biblically. But there is nothing wrong in itself. But from the context, it seems a bit strange. Who are the one that worshiping idols so far? If you remember in chapter one, it was the ship crews, the one, the the ship crews. They cry to their god in the great storm. They are the one that so try so hard in order not to throw Jonah into the sea. But now Jonah was like saying that I wasn't like those ship crews. I pray to you and I worship you. And it was so ironic because Jonah said he would sacrifice and fulfill what he promised. But that was what the crew has already did in, at the end of chapter one. They came to know the true God, not because of Jonah's preaching, but because of his disobedience. And so they came to know God and worship Him already. But Jonah seems to still think he's superior to them. Moreover, it seems strange that Jonah has never confessed his sin or repented. That is to turn to say he will. Turn from his rebellion throughout his prayer. He did thank God for saving him and acknowledge that God has cast him away, but he never say sorry to God or say that he he would change. He was grateful for God saving him, but I'm not sure his attitude was completely changed. He seems to still feel superior to. Those foreigners, as we'll see more in the next two weeks. And so, what does it to tell us now? For us, I think we should also respond to God's salvation by humbly worship. And we know that our worship isn't just centered at the temple anymore. In Romans twelve, we are told to offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, and this is your true and proper worship. In other words, coming to church and singing praises to God is only part of our worship. It's not all of our worship. Worship we we worship God through washing the dishes at home, looking after the children, living for Christ in the workplace. Importantly, is we do all this in the name of Christ. We do all this for God, and if we do so, 
And as we do so, we need to beware of the self-righteous in us. We shouldn't think that we are better because we have served longer hours at church. We shouldn't think that we are better than those Muslim, Buddhist, Hindus because we know the Lord. Because actually we are all saved by God. We contributed nothing to this. We don't figure out our faith ourselves. Rather, God came and saved us when we are ignorant of Him. We can't be proud because we are saved by grace. And Jonah end his poem with a shout of declaration that salvation belongs to the Lord. Indeed, the Lord is the only one that saves. He's the Savior and there's no other. And so we see the Lord spoke to the fish and they vomited Jonah out of to the dry land. So, after three days being imprisoned in the belly of the big fish, now Jonah regained his freedom. After three days in darkness, he's now back in light. So some people may question, how can man survive three days in a fish belly? And the thing is, it's possible because it's a miracle, it's a sign. So God created this world such that the world will follow the natural order. But he's the creator, so he's not bounded by the law. He's able to do things that are outside the law, and we call it miracles. They are like a signpost telling us that that's something special. We need to pay attention. And this, this sign actually points us to a bigger story, to the ultimate sign that shows us that the salvation belongs to the Lord. It was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, we, that's, we have the reading from the Matthew chapter 12. There we see the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. He now stooped into this earth to become a man. And he died and was put into a grave for three days, but then come back to life. In Matthew 12, we see Jesus compare himself to Jonah. And he compared Jonah being in the fish belly to himself being in the heart of the earth. Jonah preached the message of judgment and repentance, and so did Jesus. But Jesus is bigger and greater than Jonah. Because he wasn't a disobedient prophet, but rather he's the obedient son. He, he wasn't just figuratively dead, but he was that literally for three days. He didn't enter the fish belly, but the tomb. And he entered into the ultimate darkness so that we can be in the light. He was cast out not for his own sin, like Jonah, but for our sin, so that we can be brought back to God. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, death has no power on us anymore. If we trust in the sign of Jesus, death is no longer our final destination. We will be with Jesus when we die. We don't need to fear death anymore. It is through him, the non-Jewish people like us, and the people of Nineveh can be saved. His death and the resurrection are also the ultimate example of his steadfast love and mercy for us. He loved us so much to die in our place. 
Unlike in the story, we contributed nothing to our salvation. Our good work, our devotion to God contributed nothing to our salvation. Jesus Christ, our God, our Lord, is the one who brings us salvation. Salvation from eternal death and separation from God. He's the only one who is able to do it. So, so if you call yourself a Christian, is this your understanding of salvation? Do you see yourself saved completely by grace and not by work? If you are not a Christian yet, where do you look for salvation, and what kind of salvation do you look for? If you look for salvation from death and from eternal separation from God. That salvation belongs to the Lord. It comes from Him, just as for the Nineveh people. The only way we can escape from judgment is to repent, to admit, and turn away from our wrongdoings. Like Jonah, we have to cry out for God, to God for rescue. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. If we cry to Jesus. For rescue, He will save us from death to life. If you have never done so, I will urge you to consider it today. If you, if we would call ourselves a Christian, then we have all experienced God's common grace for us—the grace that helps us in different situations in life and lets us give thanks and worship God for them. However, we have experienced something even more spectacular. More life-changing, and that is the saving grace of Jesus. We have experienced the relief from the fear of God's judgment and wrath. Our guilty conscience was being washed clean, and we have been saved from death to life spiritually. Sometimes those experiences are less tangible, but they are our experience. When we experience how God helped us, our common grace, they should. Point us to the saving grace that we have in Jesus, the greatest salvation that the Lord has achieved for us. They should remind us that we are saved from death to life by Jesus' death and resurrection, and this is all achieved by the Lord. Salvation belongs to Him. If we truly believe in this, then the gratefulness should motivate us to live. Our life as a living sacrifice to live our life for Jesus as our true worship to God. It will motivate us to live for Jesus instead of other things in the world. Let us all rejoice and say that salvation belongs to the Lord.